Welcome to AHA to Exit. I'm Aram Chavez here with Michael Zayas. We are talking about the lifestyle and the pains of being an entrepreneur, a venture capitalist and an investor. And we're here to talk to you about the sacrifices and the rewards of taking your aha moment, your dream, all the way to exit. I'm Aaron Chavez, and now I'm here with Aram Chavez. Today's topic is about telling your story. What's your story? How did your story come together? Aram, jump into it. Yeah. So thanks, Michael. And I want to I want to touch on some of the points critical to your venture. And Michael's right, 100%. What's your story? What's the story of your venture? And by that, I don't mean the solution. We need to talk about the pain, the pain or gap that you're fulfilling in the marketplace. And, and there's probably no larger and no, it, it's that important. There's almost nothing more important to raising capital than you being able to articulate the pain or gap in your story. Uh, the pain sells, the pain sells, you know, in, in newspapers or in, uh, you know, on social media, you know, they have that old saying, if it bleeds, it leads, right? So in in the venture world, the bigger the pain, the more opportunity there is. But it's it's about you being able to tell that story. So let's differentiate really quickly, Michael, and and I want you to jump in here on, on some things about the pain. Uh, we've both gone through plenty of it, which <laughs> so we have a lot to share. And, uh, but the pain in the marketplace might be something really, uh, uh, it could be artificial intelligence. It could be machine learning. It could be something, uh, that's going to, to change the world. Right. But, but it doesn't have to be. And I don't want, I don't want you as an entrepreneur to think that, oh, I, you know, I, I'm just opening up a, a food truck and, and so I, I'm not really changing the world. And so it's not about that. It's about being able to articulate the pain that's out there, even if it's a food truck. What is the gap? And and the difference really being that a gap might not be something that is so serious that it's going to be revolutionary. It's just there is a lack of good service in restaurants in my area. And I am going to fill that gap. I I, I one time had a uh, a company I was advising to, and he had a trucking company, a very saturated market, very saturated market. And his his what he was solving for was time, and he would he would charge all of his customers more for being on time, and and people told him. I don't, I don't get it. I don't know how you, how are you going to make this work? And so he started out, his wife was the dispatcher and he was the truck driver. And fast forward about five years later, he ended up with about 40 trucks and he guaranteed that your construction material would get to the site on time or he gave you your entire money back. Wow. And not everybody was his customer. 
They weren't willing to pay it. But let me tell you, when you've got a crew of people standing around that you're paying labor for hourly and you don't have your material, you know, is that, 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 that is as simple as it can get. Right. And it, he wasn't, he wasn't doing anything revolutionary with technology. It was, it was just about the clock. Right. And so, so how are you articulating this? What's your story? That's what we're talking about. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, another good point is that I've fallen to myself and I've seen other people when they pitch, when they tell the story, they tell their story and they go back in time to when they started. And then, but a lot of investors want to hear the story about how that thing, that product, that service, that, um, you know, company is going to be solving their pain. You know, and I think sometimes as an entrepreneur, you can get so focused mm-hmm. on your own pain and your own process and then things that you've gone through, which should help you understand other people's pain and be more empathetic. But sometimes we wrap a lot of our story about what the trajectory has been that we fail to really um, see the opportunity in front of us to to do something like that. Uh, logistics uh, individual that saw that if he could just be consistent and punctual, that people would punctual. Pay, pay extra. That for was that. it. Just yeah. being on time. Yeah. What, what your parents have told you from day one, you yeah. know, just be on time and, or be early actually. Right. So, and, and, you know, I want to, I want to pause it here for a second and I want to fast forward to, the the idea here being able to tell your story is linear to raising capital right so so you need to practice you need to understand what it is that investors venture capitalists family offices what is it that they are listening to right they're not listening as much to the solution as they are to the customer's problem and that's what they want to hear from us and so when it comes to fundraising when it comes to capital and Michael and I have a lot of experience in this when it comes to raising capital, whether it be debt or equity and believe it or not, bankers like to hear a story. Also, it's not just the checklist, but there are a lot of wrong ways to raise capital. And there's only a couple of right ways to raise capital. And, and you're going to start off with in any introduction, your 32nd elevator pitch. It's always got to start off with the pain and what you're really asking for, and, and this is this is important that that you know you're you're taking some notes, it's an indication of interest. What is that indication of interest that that particular investor can can give you if you're able to tell the story, right? And so it could be that you're looking for ten grand, it could be looking you know, you're looking for ten million, right? And so how well you are at articulating that story is going to tell you what kind of indication of interest you're going to get. And that's a good point. And I, I've seen you do that in some of our meetings where you've asked, you know, kind of midway through, not even waiting to the end, but, you know, talking about this, this solution and this, this product what would your level of interest be? You know, what 
how would you see getting involved? And I think you can do it in a way where it doesn't put somebody on guard, Mm -hmm. but it makes them think about, you know, how much they would uh, invest in something like this or commit to something like this time, money, resources. And then once they're committing, then they're like, okay, well, if I'm going to commit, I really need to know this, (laughs) this, and this. And, and then, you know, that follow up also then either reaffirms to them that you know what you're doing. Yes. Or, or it shows them that, okay, you know, maybe, maybe they're back on the other side of the fence and you got to get them to, to climb over that fence again. That's right. And, you know, a lot of times when we're raising capital, and I just want to make sure the audience knows that, that this is a real time, real world discussion. We, we were on the phone this morning raising capital and, and advising uh, CEOs and the boards and, and everybody in between, the CFO. And so when we're raising capital, sometimes Michael and I will jump in the middle and qualify that potential investor. So it's not, we're not lessening ourselves. It's getting to know them. What's your, and it's okay, and it's, and it's a fair question to ask what's your sweet spot when it comes to investing? And and we do this, Michael and I do this all the time. And that gives us a, a really good idea as to the amount of liquid cash they have. It gives us a good idea as to whether or not this is something that they're interested in. And they usually will give you a minimum. It'll come out like, well, you know, we don't do anything less than $5 million or 250,000 or whatever it might be. And, and, and that's, that's important because you have to know that you're talking to the decision maker also. And this brings me back to your story again. So you qualify that particular investor and then you have to be able to tell them, and this is real simple. It's three points, past, present, future. Where have you been? where you at and where you're going. And that's the aha to exit.com map. That's it. You, you, you have to be able to build the track record. And so when I said earlier that there's a lot of wrong ways to raise capital, this isn't shark tank. Shark tank is it's, 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 I guess good for entertainment value, but that's not how it's done in the real world. It's not this, this cold, you know, I'm standing across the table from you and we're enemies until we can agree on something. It's, it's got to be a win-win. We are friends until we can, and we will can continue to be friends. Let's just hope we can get a deal together. Yeah. And, and the one thing I would say, thinking about Shark Tank, um, that is actually an advantage to an uh, entrepreneur other than, you know, getting over the nerves of being on live TV and, mm-hmm. And uh, pitching in front of Mark Cuban is that <clears throat> typically when you're talking to an investor, it's more one-on-one. Yeah. Right? And in Shark Tank, you have like five people who, when it goes the best for the entrepreneur, it's because they are competing against each other. Mm-hmm. You know, once once you can get them to that point, sometimes they're all fighting you, you know? Yeah. So I think it depends. But um, one, we were on a call this morning and the CEO did a really great job even though we were just talking with one investor, 
he mentioned a couple other investors and kind of created that same competition dynamic uh, framework so that as he's telling his story, investing in the company is looking more and more attractive and he's creating some urgency, he's creating some competition, maybe name dropping a little bit, but I think that that's also part of it. And you can't make stuff up. Obviously, he's got these relationships and board members have some of these relationships, but I've seen him do a good job telling the story that way, where it's kind of like, we're going ahead with this group. Mm -hmm. We will save some of this for you if you would like it. You have first right of refusal. Yeah, we'll give you some preference because we've been talking to you for a while and we like you. Uh, build, you know, further builds that rapport. But if we have to, we're going to be okay. Yeah. And, and, and I think that that is a great way of framing your story too, because um, it allows for better respect between mm-hmm. both groups because people can tell when you're desperate to raise capital or right. when you don't have anything and that you need everything from them. And then they're looking at it almost like a gamble, like, man, do I, do I gamble this cash on this person? But when they know that there's other people that are interested, just like dating, yeah. they're kind of like, okay, we need to make a decision because this person's not going to be single forever. And, and the reality, Michael, you hit it. You did this. Yes. You said that so well. And I'm going to add to this. You, you can't lie and you can't fake it till you make it. You have to tell the truth. But the reality of it is that, you are desperate, and I know the audience needs capital. I know we, we we're on these calls almost daily with CEOs, coaching them, talking to them about how they're going to be presenting, and they need the money uh, three months ago, right? They need the money three months ago, but we are uh, we're needing to to get that funding today. And so you have to build a track record. That's how you don't lessen yourself. So I want to bring up another point, which is your reputation. You can see, so you fake it till you make it. You're going to be in trouble. At some point, they're going to realize that you're not as big as you're pretending to be. And then, and then if they find out, and let's say they did give you capital, they're going to be really, really pissed that, that not everything you were saying was true, right? And so it's important that you're transparent. It's important that you're telling the truth exactly where you're at. And there's no shame in where you're at on the map. If you are in the very beginning stages of aha to exit, you're in the research or you're you're actually talking to investors now, That there's no shame in... And you're just feeling the waters out. There's no shame in that, right? Versus a company that is already in revenue, has done a beta, and and is you know killing it in uh, you know the direct to consumer you know market or whatever whatever market is that you're going after. But it's important that you understand that when you're getting indications of interest, that number one, you're talking to the decision maker. Number two, you're not faking it till you make it. Number three, your reputation is everything. And that's where you have to start thinking about separating yourself from the people on Shark Tank, the people that are just pitching without any real 
understanding of valuation. And so what I want to what I want to leave you with and with this particular thought today is what's your story? And if you're going to back into your story, your past, present, and future, then you're going to have to create a valuation. And when you're pre-revenue, people always ask us. I don't know how many times that Michael's been asked this in the last month. I think more than I have. But how do I come up with a valuation if I don't have any revenue? And that's where you build your track record your past, present, and future. And if you can say, this is what I've done with my checklist. Look at the map. Look at the map. You can see, this is what I've done. I'm on step three or step four. I've completed the business model canvas. I've I've uh, figured out who I'm going to be doing a beta with. I figured out the real pain in the marketplace. I mean, those each one of those check check mark marks adds value to your capital raise, and so your pre money valuation is going to be contingent on you being able to execute and check those boxes, and and then being able to articulate the future. Because the reality of it is, we just want to see as investors that you've gone through some some of the basic blocking and tackling to get to where you're at today where you're in front of me raising capital. And once you pass the sniff test, then we can look forward. And I know where you're at. And now we can look forward and say, okay, this is they they've de-risked us by doing a lot of this. And that's why the map is so important is because it it de-risks investors and entrepreneurs in that you don't have to go backwards to fix something. You're going to the map and you're checking off each step. It's gamified for you. I mean, that's the reality of it. The how to exit map is 10 steps and you've got levels, first level, second level, third. That's where you need to be focusing. And when you're in front of an investor, you're not just asking for capital because you need it, you're giving them a track record and you built your reputation and you're willing to stand behind it. Yeah, and, and I'll jump in and, and just uh, tell you a couple things too. Um, I, I think we can't assume that everyone's listened to our first our first episode. <laughs> so after this, I'll give you a little of my background and, and maybe Aaron can go back and, and give you some of his background. But um when I've sat on the investor side of the table and I kind of sit on both sides, depending on, on the project or the venture or the company, I think what I've always been most impressed with, um, is when somebody can clearly articulate, um, how much money they're going to need, like down to the penny, what they're going to spend it over the next year, how that's going to increase the company's value. And, and, you know, at least look out five years and obviously you can't plan for everything that would happen. I mean, we've had, we've had COVID, we've had massive inflation, you, you know, we've also had the, the stock markets hit record highs and then come back down to probably, you know, you know uh, a more reasonable place. Um, so investors want to see a clear path. If you can chart that out for a year or two, and have some milestones, have quarterly milestones, monthly milestones of this is how I'm going to use the capital. Every time 
I use capital. It's accretive to the strategy and we're creating more value than we're spending. Obviously, like Aaron was saying, pre-revenue or if you have low revenue and, and, and you need to get the profitability, um, being really clear on how you get to profitability and how you return investor capital and then what kind of uh, return on top of a return of capital you can give to them. If you can really clearly show that, one of my fortes has been to build these pro formas and financial models. Mm-hmm. And it's always a little bit of an iterative process because you more or less know a benchmark of what you need to return to an investor. So you don't want to take on too much capital on the front end. And then you don't want to overstate what you can make with it. So you want to be conservative. But then if you're too conservative, you might have to take on more capital and maybe you can't support that. Um, and, and so, you know, I've run all kinds of models. You can do all kinds of discounting your cash flows. You can do all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, you have to be highly confident and have a highly probable case that you can use the investment a certain way and, and show that you're anticipating downside risks. You know, what could go wrong? How could things change? And if, if things, you know, just sort of perform on a conservative basis that everyone's going to be extremely happy with the way that it works. Um, and, and I think that's been from, from my point of view, somebody being able to have that financial awareness as well. And if you don't have that, find a partner. If you can't find a partner that has that, you know, find somebody who's like a outsourced analyst or something that can help you build that part of it. And then really know it. The CEOs that I've been the most impressed with, like the one we were on with earlier, he's, he, he was an engineer. He's not a financial guy, but he can, he can get into the weeds because he cares about his company. Yep. He, he knows exactly what they need to do. You know, there are some inefficiencies which are fine, and you can explain that today. And that's part of the reason why it's going to get better in the future. Um, and Michael, to your point, everything that he's talking about is a map. You have to have a map. You have to have a roadmap. And it's okay if the roadmap changes. In fact, this morning's call, the roadmap had changed pretty dramatically, by the way. I, I want to say that the audience needs to know that it it wasn't a pivot. It was a concentration. And this is something else I, I think you touched on, Michael, which is profitability. So in this market, you need to have line of sight to, I, I don't want to say profitability. Um, profit, and, and I'm not a communist, but uh, you know, profit is, is somewhat of a bad word to me in the sense that that. Um, you can go out of business. Those of you who don't know this, you can go out of business being profitable. Um, and and it's cash flow that I want you to focus on. And that's your that is your biggest metric is is cash flow. And so profitable can be engineered, right? I mean, we saw what happened in the Black Swan of two thousand eight when the banking crisis, the credit crisis hit us. It was banks going after. Ninjas, no income, no job applicant loans, right? And that subprime market was giving them tons of fees and huge profits. But on the balance sheet, 
they had losses because nobody was paying their huge liabilities. Yeah, yeah, it became it became a liability, and so you can just so you know you can go out of business being profitable. And so I like to use the word cash flow, and many of you are hearing the word. I'm sorry, the acronym EBITDA. And the difference between earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization is, um, and cash flow is that EBITDA being EBITDA positive means that you have the cash coming in, but and and you're profitable, but you getting the cash, there's usually a lag, especially if you're B to B. So. In in an example, the, uh, the company that we're talking to this morning, they'll be EBITDA positive, we'll say in July or whenever, I don't know, but their cash flow positive will be about a quarter later. Hmm. But for you in the audience, just knowing the distinction because people assume that cash flow and EBITDA are the same thing, and they're very, very close, but if you... If you've got some smarty pants financier who calls you out and says, well, EBITDA isn't cash flow, and, and technically they're correct. Well, now you know the definition of being cash flow versus EBITDA positive. Yeah, and EBITDA is really established as a baseline to compare different businesses and, and different investments because everybody's going to make different decisions on what kind of debt that they take and and maybe their tax structure is different. So with all those variables that are so um, unalike across different industries, if you can have one thing like EBITDA, then you know it's kind of like an IRR for an investor. People can look at that number and say, okay, if I was to take over that company or that's what this company is doing before all these other variables. And that's really its purpose as a, as a benchmark. But like you're saying, at the end of the day, you could be EBITDA positive, but still not giving cash flow back to your investors. So it's not the it's not the most important thing, unless you're trying to sell yeah. to a private equity company at an EBITDA multiple, or if you're it, you know looking for a, an investor, maybe mm-hmm. uh, the JV partner or a limited partner to come in. You know they might want to look at that, but they're going to have to look at your underlying debt and anything else that you have as well. And you said it, EBITDA is a worthless number, folks, unless you're selling your business. Or raising capital. So it's a pretty important number, but when you're operating your own business, you don't you're you're not saying, hey, well, I, I where's my EBITDA? Unless you're looking for additional capital or an exit. Um, you know, and and that that is you know, I, I talked to a CFO of a former CFO of Microsoft one time, and he had really no idea what EBITDA was. I mean, he knew what it was. He just, we don't calculate it. He said, well, I mean, why? Uh, you know, and so I thought, yeah, that's that's right. I mean, that's Yeah, not, when you have all the money in the world. Yeah, right? when, yeah, <laughs> when you, have, you don't need EBITDA, right? It's a nice problem to have. But, he, you know, he he made a good point, though. You know, if, if you're operating a, a strong business and you're not necessarily needing to sell or wanting to sell or raise additional capital, then, you know, EBITDA is a worthless number. And so you might not be focusing on it as much, but focusing on, on cash to cash acceleration, getting that cash flow in is really how you keep from robbing Peter to pay Paul all the time, right? You got it. You've got to get 
those terms, especially B2B, you got to accelerate those terms. But this is part of the story. This is part of the questions, the Q&A that's coming from the VC world. They want to know that you understand that Shark Tank, they don't talk about cash flow positive. They don't talk about, they talk about, well, how long have you been in revenue? How many units have you sold? They're not getting granular with your understanding of finance. And as a CEO, you're wearing the CFO hat. And being able to articulate that story, again, is 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 a function of you being able to tell people where you've been, where you're at, where you're going, and give them that roadmap, have some granularity to your projections, your pro formas, and it doesn't need to be, uh, it, it doesn't need to be in a uh, uh, discounted DCF discounted cash flow model. It just needs to be something that you can show. Hey, this is where this is where this is what this money is going to get me. This kind of revenue. This is this is the use of proceeds, and I'm expecting it to get me there, which also increases the valuation of the company. So you're buying today at X, your capital, which is going to add to your pre-money valuation, which gives you your post-money valuation, is going to, in six months, get us to Y and Z. And so you're going to have a new pre-money valuation that's going to be higher, hopefully significantly higher than the round that you're raising today. And that's part of what people want to see and what people want to hear. They want to know that the pie is expanding. They want to know that their investment today is is at a is at a good value. And so if you can articulate the sweet spot, if you can articulate and as a CEO and as a or a founder of your company, you're you're the one that's articulating the strike zone. This, these are the boundaries. This is my strike zone right here. And you got to pitch to it. And so with that said, valuation is linear to the story. So is your uh, being able to talk about your past, present, future, and understanding that raising capital is really about being able to tell a story that has everything to do with your pain. I'm... Aram Chavez. I'm Michael Zayas. And now we're cooking with gas. That's all for today's show. If you enjoyed what you heard, check out our other episodes. You can also find me, Michael Zayas, or Aram Chavez on LinkedIn.com. Go to ahataexit.com for more information about some of the topics we're talking on. And you can follow our company, BMC Capital Management or Blue Morphos at bluemorphos.com. That's all for today's show. If you enjoyed what you heard, check out our other episodes. You can also find me, Michael Zayas, or Aram Chavez on LinkedIn.com. Go to ahataexit.com for more information about some of the topics we're talking on. And you can follow our company, BMC Capital Management or Blue Morphos at bluemorphos.com.